0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, and today we're going to be talking about how to get acquainted and harness your intergenerational power for career success. I feel like this is such an interesting topic already. <laughs> so um, our special guest is Dr. Luna Munoz who is an associate coach for Durham University. Luna was a lecturer in higher education, earning national prizes, and has over 100 publications, including opinions on higher education. She now helps mid-career academics to get clarity on career moves while taking a radical, compassionate approach. Welcome to the podcast, Doctora Luna. Encantada. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because we've had you know, conversations in the past, and I'm glad that you were willing to come on the show. And for folks who don't know um, about like who you are, what you do, and your backstory, I would love for you to get us started that way by sharing a little bit more about what you do and whatever you're comfortable about. Your background story and what made you who you are today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So
1: um, I'll keep it brief, but my family's from Puerto Rico. My mom and dad were born in Puerto Rico. My dad moved away when he was, I think, 11 and went to Harlem, Spanish Harlem in New York. This was like the 50s. Um, and Then they, my dad and my mom met in Puerto Rico and San Juan when he was going there visiting. And he probably was like the coolest, like older guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I'll take you to New York. And (laughs) so I was born on almost on a hippie commune in Vermont because he was really into like all that kind of free love and drugs and everything like this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think my mom said he took the drugs when she went to the hospital, like they were like, here's your like painkillers. And he was like, I'll have some of that. (laughs) But that was like early seventies. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then um, we moved around a lot because my parents were kind of, you know, free bodies. Um, And uh, we moved to Puerto Rico when I was seven um, to be with my grandparents and get My mom clean, you know, because she'd Mm -hmm. been partying a lot. So I was raised by my grandmother and my grandfather for a while, actually, like all of me and my cousins, you know, throwing chancletas at each other all day long. (laughs) And then I, I left when my mom remarried. And we went to um we ended up in New York, and that's where I did my undergraduate and Went to LA because I thought I'd get into uh, PhD programs. Did not get into the 16 that I applied to. <laughs> so the one I apl- I got into was Penn State. So went back across the country to Penn State. Did not have a good time there at all. Um, my supervisor didn't get tenure. I wasn't offered another supervisor. Uh, I was told I was being greedy for
0: wanting a supervisor. <laughs> uh, I was running the lab. <laughs> I just, I just this week or this week recorded a podcast on institutional neglect. And so it's just wild that you're talking about that, about your advisor, not getting tenure and you not really getting that support because it's so real. So I interrupted you, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah.
1: It's, it's like, once I realized a lot later on that, that, led to me doubling my student loan debt Mm. because you know you then have living costs which yeah when I went to University of New Orleans my stipend was a lot lower I'd had full scholarship to go to Penn State where I wouldn't have to do TAing or anything and they let it run out without giving me a supervisor so I then had no more scholarship so I went to New Orleans it was a lower stipend. I had to work my butt off to have the, you know, to actually be able to to live. And then, I mean, luckily at the end of it, I got a PhD. I really was thinking about, why am I doing this? (laughs) Um, But if people are in that that phase of like, why am I doing this? I think do have those conversations with yourself because I wish that I had a little bit more Um, you know compassion for myself and not just being like but Luna this is the American dream you know like this is the American dream your dad didn't graduate high school this is like what you're supposed to do in order to prove that you know you're not like um, like what they'd say in the UK like stiving off the system like Mm -hmm. you know just living off of benefits because that's how me and my mom lived for a long time Um, especially in New York where she got a divorce and yeah, the, there was domestic violence. And so we were escaping that. So I wish I'd had that conversation, but I did not. Mm -hmm. And I continued on with what people said was the next step, which was you do a postdoc next. Mm -hmm. Even though I had been offered a job in juvenile justice services in New York to change and make the justice system for juveniles more compassionate. Um, But I didn't do that because they said, you'll never be able to go back into academia ever again. (laughs) So I went to do my postdoc in Sweden and then I did my assistant professorship, associate professorship in England. So I thought I'll avoid that whole tenure system. But actually everywhere I went, it was it just felt like wherever I went, there was, you know, gender inequality, racism, you know, or both at the same time, and I just didn't really feel like I was um, able to kind of make it in the system, and I was working so hard to bring the students who came from similar, maybe like impoverished backgrounds, or working class backgrounds, or who were ethnic minorities in the UK, I worked tirelessly to help them, and that was what I was most proud of. And I realized that wasn't being um, recognized or valued. And when I finally came to that realization, well, when I came to that realization, I was also under redundancy um, threat. So they were saying, we're going to lay you off. Your job's no longer needed. Although I was working in health during the pandemic. (laughs) Your job's no longer needed. We don't need health. (laughs) We're done with health. So... But coincidentally, that happened after I talked to HR about racism, and I heard you should not talk to HR about any issues where you don't want to uh, have them defend the organization, because that's really what they're there for. But I've been naive my whole life, Mm. (laughs) believing in the American dream. Believing that, you know, uh, if I come to England, maybe things will be different. And another country is probably not misogynistic or racist. No, actually. But at least I get to know that everywhere I go, I can fit in anywhere.
0: (laughs) I thought (laughs) you were going to say, at least I know everywhere I go, I will face similar issues. (laughs) Yeah, because I've adapted, right? So wherever I go, I'm like a fish.
1: I can just adapt to this you know <laughs> to this pollution in the water I've adapted oh. so far
0: wow <laughs> yeah I know that is a that is a whole other episode talking about your experience with with your former institution but we we won't go, go into the, the details <laughs> but okay so I um I did have a question actually about your experience having been a lecturer having worked in higher ed and, and how, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I don't want you to, you you can share whatever you're comfortable sharing, but like, how did that shape your understanding of power dynamics in academia? And then because you're here to talk about intergenerational power. So, I mean, there's definitely a relationship there between the power dynamics we experience among institutions and then taking our power back. Uh, so, can you can you share your thoughts around that? Yeah,
1: I mean, my experience as a Latin American across two countries—one which doesn't really know about Latin Americans—you know, I mean, England is not—they're just like I don't, I don't really know what you're just American—and um, then having lived in the U.S., um, the power dynamics are such that as a woman, I've always been under the pressure to perform duties that are about pastoral care, Mm. you know, being compassionate, being empathetic, taking care of the students. Every time I've gone to interviews for lecturing jobs, it's always been like, well, how do you support our students? Mm. How will you support our students? And then there's extra pressure on not not only office hours, but being there to, you know, um, support them for to, sometimes I'd have meetings with students that were two, three hours, especially during the pandemic, because that's what I felt the pressures were. Mm. And one of the realities is when you're looking at the, for example, the redundancy. I know we're not going to talk about like what happened with that, but the people that were saved from their jobs being not needed anymore were the people who were directors of research, but not the Equality Diversity Chairs. So, you can imagine who are the people that are um, selecting, electing to be in that position, in the Equality Diversity position. You can think about who is pressured to do those jobs. Yes. For example, I had been in that job. Um, and who's in the Director of Research positions? <laughs> so, you know, the person that was saved, their job was saved, was a white male. So. You know, it's it's a there's so much pressure to conform to our gender norms, to our norms of what people believe as like a Caribbean person, for example, um, and what they should be like. Um, and I've had many comments from students, like so-called Dr. Luna, um, on feedback forms. Um, you know, this impression that how could you be a real doctor, you know, if you come from, if your name is is Luna Munoz, you know? So, and I think I, my idea about uh, this intergenerational power, if I can kind of like segue into that is um, part of what I was let, part of what I came to realize is that I was compliant within this uh, idea of who I am. I took the equality diversity role. I took on pastoral care. I tried to be more like motherly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I tried to wear more dresses and skirts because I thought maybe that's how I would get to be liked more. And I was so much around, you know, I was, I was driven by people pleasing and significance and markers of like, I am the good girl. I am the good (laughs) you know person for this role i don't make any waves um and i could do that for a little while but sometimes i'd start to make waves i'd just be like you know like pushing the water and being like what does that do oh okay <laughs> which gave me ideas that i wasn't gonna fit in long term um but the intergenerational power that i realized i had was my dad had already made a big wave while he was alive and, 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 you know, the way that he connected with people and the way that he could read people and, you know, read auras and understand people's histories and where they were coming from and be able to, you know, help them to kick the habit, you know? I mean, he couldn't do it for himself, but he was able to help people out of their heroin addictions. He was hired by universities to speak to you know, as a person with lived experience of addiction, to speak to people about how he um, has created these clubs where people um, support each other to to quit addiction. So there's that, there's that element of it Mm -hmm. that I realized. But then I also, on top of that, had another layer of he probably wasn't paid very much to go to the university to give his absolute knowledge. Mm. And then I thought, what knowledge have I been giving to the university that has not been paid for? And that only I could have given to the university, that only I possess that knowledge in the way that, Mm. and I perceive it, and my perception is unique. And I've been giving that away and has led to some burnout because I've been giving it away and it's felt frustrating to me to be giving away this special thing and not be recognized, not get anything back. And then that's where the realization
0: came from. You know, I'm thinking about how there are so many people who are going to listen to this episode and realize, what am I giving away? You know, what am I, what are my strengths and my talents that I'm just giving away for free for institutions that take that for granted? And also they might be thinking, well, then like, how, like, how do I harness intergenerational? What is my intergenerational power? Like, so maybe, um. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by intergenerational power? I know that you yeah. uh, referenced your dad and the the work that he did and his knowledge, uh, but um, yeah, if you were like to define it or to describe it in some way, uh, what how how are you? Uh, yeah, how are you referencing this term, or what do you mean by it?
1: Yeah, I mean I did a lot of research on. I mean, obviously I lived in Puerto Rico for yeah. I think it was five six years. But I I did a lot of research on what is Puerto Rican history, right? Mm. What does it mean to be a Boricua? And what is our spiritual history as well as, you know, the history you can find in a book or on Wikipedia. Um, I started to learn about the things that I was really passionate about, like our music history. Um, I don't know if anybody has listened to La Brega, but definitely that podcast is amazing, Um, Ad Bunny, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But even before that and where the um contribution to jazz and and all you know so there is a lot of power already that i can tap into i'm also a professional dancer so i do that on my free time and i think that comes from you know a lot of our salsa and merengue and all that kind of stuff that you know and once i realized how do i do salsa like what's special to me in the way that i Uh, approach salsa what's Mm. special to me in the way that i approach um you know training somebody new in something you know when i whenever i would teach how did i approach research what did i do that no one asked me to do i just kind of you know designed it myself and so it does take a lot of um you know if you if you start to uh look at like the what's it called the nap factory and like the nap oh nap ministry yes um and trisha hershey's yes. uh books yes. on
0: rest rest What's is you- resistance Yes.
1: rest is resistance oh my god that changed my life and i think in rest and even rest could be like because i think i you know have trouble resting with uh, <laughs> kind of my adhd um even just crocheting or baking or anything like that is to me restful Um, or even doing Pilates. And in those moments where your brain doesn't have to be thinking about the emails and answering Mm. your supervisor or whoever, um, you get little clarity sparks. And that's when I started to realize, oh, when I dance, I feel healed. Mm. And then I started to research like bomba and how much bomba is resistant. So our like folklore dance mm-hmm. is resistant. papoeira in yes. you know Brazil yes. is resistant. and so it
0: was about <laughs> getting into
1: performance
0: ones. studies yes. here <laughs> 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 I, I took like some <laughs> performance based like uh, like performance theory and like dance theory courses and I was in graduate school so you saying like this you know like capoeira's resistance salsa you know you know all the different they really are when you look at yeah. the history and the roots of them yeah yes
1: yes and then I connected to the way that I approached those which was always about connection contribution. I loved sharing ideas with other people. And I realized that's exactly how I do my research. I love connection, Mm. collaboration, and sharing. And, you know, if you follow the way that research is done, it's a lot of, you know, only now are we talking about open science, but it's been quite close. It's been gatekept. It's, it's been held by lone geniuses. And I started to realize those are not intergenerally intergenerationally what um what I subscribe to Mm. I've been trying to fit into it I've been trying to have the sole authored paper I've been trying to you know be like first author on a so so many number of papers but I realized that was draining me a lot because I was fighting I was swimming upstream and I think if you find if people like listeners if you find what's really draining to you that's probably because it's not aligned with the way that you naturally want to work yes yeah and I think then you start to real, and then once you start researching some of your history, you start realizing that some of the ways that you work are because of what you've through osmosis, whether it's through your parents, your grandparents, or you know, i I don't know whether there's like a DNA that kind of gives you it, but there is something different. And I think it's useful to see where you come from and yeah. where these traits come from. And in the same way that I like to be accountable compassionately, because I know that I was chasing these markers of success that I was sold by colonialism, capitalism. And um, it's about having compassion Mm -hmm. that I have been complicit in my own oppression, but it came from decades of being in school and being taught things it came from decades of listening to the media it came from decades of absorbing you know just do it and all the you know all the things all the messages that we are open to as we grow up and so it's not about blame although we there are so many people in the system that there is accountability and blame on each of those But then it's within that opening your eyes, you then are able to kind of go, okay, I can see the bigger picture and how I chose these paths. I now have a commitment, accepting the path and commitment to drive forward. Yeah.
0: You know, when you're talking about intergenerational power, what, uh, when you were talking about how things get passed down, I'm reminded about how you know, there have been studies that show that trauma gets passed down genetically. And you know how when, like, we are born, like, I think it's so we have like our grandparent or grandmother's genetics or something like that. Anyway, I I, I clearly do not know the science <laughs> behind it. But what it also makes me think about is if trauma gets passed down, then power gets passed down as well. And so that's, that's what I think you're referring to in this case. And the other thing it reminded me of, so you're talking about intergenerational power, um, and I'm trying to remember what you're, what, like, I'm like starting to blank out on the second thing. <laughs> but I guess just going back to how that is really important. It's really important mm-hmm. to acknowledge the things that make us us, and it's part of uh, like, oh, I was gonna say that the, the second thing that came to mind is when you're saying, okay, you need that self-compassion, that compassion is key because we've been taught to these things that have been ingrained in us by, like you said, colonization, white supremacy, patriarchy, etc. I I was having a meeting with one of my coaches, one of my business coaches who focuses on supporting women of color. And she caught me saying something that was self-deprecating and, and was like, you know, I, like encouraging me to, to think a little bit more about like where that came from. And like, why is it that I have this need to want to do things perf- the perfect way or want to become an expert before I even share with someone else? And, and like, where did that come from? How did I get taught that, that I, you have to do things a certain way? Otherwise it's not good enough. And I'm like, yes, yes. white supremacy. Yes. Colonization. Yes. Patriarchy. Yeah. Like we can go on and on and on. Yes. Um, but if we are more self aware or um are able to reflect on that there's a lot of power in that so i yeah. guess i i am wondering like for folks who are just like listening to this and thinking well that that's nice but like how do i get there <laughs> i'm just starting <laughs> you know i'm just starting this process of like personal growth and getting to know my family lineage and history and like who i am or what my strengths are what my powers are Like, how does, like, what tips or advice would you give them for starting that process for becoming more self-aware and self-compassionate and like learning more about their powers? Yeah,
1: I love having people take like um, some empowerment words and words that are descriptive of people, you know, humility, integrity, um leadership curiosity um you know all these different kinds of words and giving those words to other people to mark you like which ones of these really um remind you of me you know because i don't feel that that was the first thing i started to do i still have the notepad on my phone when people would dm me sometimes you know mm-hmm. um luna when i think of you i think of blah, blah 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 or you know thanks for being so blah 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 or mm-hmm. you know I, I love that you're whatever because i i don't know if i'm like you but in terms of self
0: i i have a lot i used to have a lot of self-defeating thoughts and i think I, I, th- I thought i was doing a lot better and then she caught me and i was like oh dang <laughs> <laughs> i probably have <am> the same <laughs> What that means is
1: I'm looking for information that validates what I already think, which means I'm looking for information when people say like, "Oh, you did that wrong, Luna." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to save that. I'm going to tattoo it in my, you know." <laughs> Whereas when people are like, "Oh, you're so um courageous." I just go, "Uh-huh," and then I have no idea what they said cuz I don't really pay attention to it. I don't ruminate on it. Yeah. I ruminate on all the negative stuff. That's true. <laughs> and I think if we repeat words that people say to us, like now when people are like, oh, Luna, you're so inspirational. I'm like, you know, I'm really thinking about what that means for me. Like, what does it mean to be inspirational? Or, I, I you know, when you say I'm brave, I'm really, you know, trying to get my head around that. And what, what, what do you classify as brave? And I'm really trying to like, Baskinate rather than ruminate, (laughs) you know, bask
0: in it rather than. I I love that. I'm just like using that as a word. (laughs) Don't ruminate, (laughs) bask in (laughs) it. Um,
1: and also collect it right, put it in your whatever you keep, your journal or whatever, and really like out like try to outline it and and give some examples for yourself like when i think like when somebody says to me wow you're so brave luna especially during the redundancy because i was i was on the picket line every day i was on zoom meetings for all over the country crying and telling my story so that people would and in the media too right on the media like everywhere like the local news i was like danny hi i've got a quote (laughs) <laughs> you know, like for the local newspaper, the Liverpool Echo. I was like, Danny, come over. Um, but it took so much out of me. But it meant with every little bit that I would be in the news or I would, you know, come to Zoom meetings, it meant that somebody would donate money to our cause. You know, I was the like amazing activist. I didn't know I had that in me. But it takes like, it takes a challenge, right? To understand our strengths as well. So I think, right, think about these things that people say to you, ask people for who, like, when you think of me, what do you think of? Mm. It's harder to know ourselves than other people see us.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, that's one of the things that I encourage folks to do when they're trying to identify their strengths is to ask for feedback, ask others, what do you think of when you think of me? Or "What, what do you think that I'm really good at? And yeah. I know it's, it can be uncomfortable at first if you're not used to doing it. And like you said, a lot of us will push a- away the compliments and uh, really <laughs> focus too much on the critiques or the negative critiques, but it is helpful to to think, okay, what do I keep hearing over and over and over again? Okay, that's that's definitely something, you know? <laughs>
1: Exactly. Just it
0: up. <laughs> yeah. And
1: then do the the you know do the dissection of it. Mm-hmm. Because we dissect, like if somebody's like, God, you seem really selfish today, Luna. I'm like dissecting it. I'm like, mm-hmm. in what way have I been selfish? Oh yeah, and there's that one time I ate the last pizza pizza. You know, like <laughs> <I'm> just like <laughs> I'll start looking for every single evidence, whereas yeah. I don't do the same when somebody says, you know, you're, you know, like such a like humorous person or like yeah. a fun person I'm like all right yeah I've got a hula hoop upstairs and I like <laughs>
0: you would I <laughs> love it <laughs> I haven't touched the hula hoop since I was like under 10 probably <laughs> uh, we need to try this <laughs> no because I could never do it <laughs> <laughs> the weighted ones the weighted ones
1: that's what I, somebody oh, told me get I a weighted
0: one that does oh, <laughs> that, sound like like fun something to try out <laughs> I hope people will try it <laughs> yeah so um you know one thing that I also wanted to hear more about because you do work with academics and you are I believe a mid-career academic coach. So you work with mid-career professionals, probably professors, and I would love to hear more about the ways that you support them. Even though my audience is primarily undergraduate and graduate students and recent uh, graduates, I would like for them to be exposed to the world of coaching and what that looks like and the kind of support that they could have access to if this is something that they're interested in. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, the reason why I chose the uh, mid-career um uh like clientele is because mm-hmm. there's that there's that long period of conditioning, right? Where yes. you are conditioned to believe success comes in one flavor that you know that um you start emulating like more. I don't know whether it's masculine energies or something like this, Mm -hmm. but I definitely felt like, Oh, I need to, I need to be more assertive and I need to be more powerful and I need to stop giggling. And I need to, you know, there was so much that people told me I was too much, you know, even as a PhD student, when I taught my first class and I had a observer, you know, my professor, he was like, stop giggling. You seem like you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, okay. And it just, Perpetuated itself that I still remember it today, right? Like Uh, this is like 20 something years later. Um and I think what's what what's helpful with the people that I work with, um, so I do work with some people who are just finishing their PhDs, and usually those are people who are Latin American or people of color, because I think for them they've had that conditioning for a long time that they feel I need to decondition myself from the expectations that the only way to succeed is this, that I'm going to be a failure if I don't do that. I mean, my dad, the reason why he was an addict was because he was never able to make it as a real man, is what he said, you know, because he never had a job. He was never able to provide for (laughs) his family. And that's exactly what Latin American men are. You know, I mean, again, misogyny is like, (laughs) you know, detrimental for everybody, but... He had those expectations of this is success. And I think, and, and, you know, so he went through school and had already all of that conditioning. And so I feel like a lot of my um, drive and what I love to do is to see people get out of that fog, get out of that conditioning. And like you said, I love the way you said that, like, you know, trauma's in your DNA, but so is this intergenerational power because it does you, you don't, you don't, I mean, I don't like the whole like victim, victim mentality idea. I don't think that that's fair to say to yeah. people. Um, but uh, I think that empowerment is, and hope and optimism. And yeah. I call it like weapons grade optimism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That regardless of all the crap that there is, something that you can do there's something in your control yes and that's what I love when I see that's what I loved when I was in academia was seeing students who'd come from like mining backgrounds in in England Mm -hmm. whose parents never went to university and then now one of them is working in parliament which is wow it's just amazing and she said I wouldn't have been able to do it without you Luna and that's so that's what I really get a lot of um, joy from and that's what I, I feel like I have um special you know abilities (laughs) to help people with so in terms of doing that work yourself is doing the stuff that you were you're saying like figuring out what your strengths are but allowing those strengths to be more than like question what other people have said strengths are start to question what other people said success is what is success success is the work that you do with like making it more Inclusive for people who are neurodiverse, people with disability, and and making that really public and getting it into people's minds in a different way than maybe they were perceiving it before, um, and I think that's you know that could be success. Me mm-hmm. helping my child, who I learned has you know a a disability, that's what I think of success is now yes. is is being a mom who now listens, you know, whereas I used to. Oh, I have to have all the answers because I'm a parent. So I think um, if you start to outline what is success for me, and that's going to take a long time. It's not like oh, okay, I have this weekend. Mm-hmm. It does take rest and reimagining, and you know, because um, you are you're blossoming, blossoming something new in yourself, and that takes time, and it takes you know water and oxygen and light. And if you can do those things for yourself they'll become more apparent but then it's also about connecting with what are your skills are you know and <clears throat> questioning the binary you know about whether you're a success or your failure yeah. is that really a binary there's so many you know i i grew up knowing that i was bisexual um and now i'm starting to go wait if I'm not bi on that one, I, you know, like I'm bi, you know, I, I, I'm more than that. I'm yeah. not just heterosexual or homosexual. Are there other binaries that I've been living in that I yes. could escape? <laughs> 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 My child is non-binary yeah. in terms of their um, their gender. So, you know, there's so many ways to now rethink maybe this isn't the way for me and outlining your own path forward of what you want and if it's not money, then how do you make enough money? How much money do you need? Think about your like pension or retirement fund and then go, okay, how much do I need to live in a place? and backtrack, right, yes. and go like reverse engineer what you need to make that happen so that we're not always just striving for, you know, because I keep striving. I see some people who
0: just strive for more and more and more and more until they burn out. And yeah. uh, no, <laughs> you don't have to just grow exponentially for no reason. Uh, it makes sense to figure out, to, to do that, that exercise in lifestyle design of like, okay, what is the ideal life that I can envision? for now you can change it later and then work yes. backwards from there it's yeah. very very helpful yeah
1: it's we're back to performance because it's like a choreography <laughs> there's no work life balance yeah you're chore-
0: choreographing yes. your i'm life. always like oh blah blah blah. we're choreographing this or we're curating that or performing i'm like oh you can i can sense like my <laughs> grad school like training coming back <laughs> once an academic always sort of an academic even if it's a recovering academic That's <laughs> true <laughs>
1: No, it's like, there's not really a work-life balance. There's a choreography, you know, yeah. sometimes you're balanced on one foot. But as long as you can do that without falling over or breaking your hip, <laughs> I'm thinking that's a success. <laughs> that's, that's so, true. yeah, I think that's the, the biggest part and getting around like, you know, your mindset around success and, and money and what's enough for you. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's more of that kind of work. As well as, you know, kind of like your CV and your resume and all that kind of stuff. But that's the little work. It's gaining your confidence and knowing that, you know, I deserve better. And then being able to see that there's an abundance of jobs in a way. And I'm interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. And I have the power to walk away and say no. Obviously, like, you know, I mean, there's times when I haven't been able to say no. And, you know, you have to pay like the bills or Mm -hmm. like... You have to eat, but I think there is an empowerment and know what you want, what kind of lifestyle you want and being able to like make that happen as best as possible. But know like you're negotiable, like being like, I definitely don't want to negotiate on plantains. They need to have that where I live. (laughs) (laughs) That's my non-negotiable. They have to have plantains around here. Um, but then there's other things I might negotiate on, like, I might go into work two days a week, depending on how far I have to travel, you know? So it's really knowing your lifestyle and which ones are non-negotiable and which ones are like set in stone. This is what I need to actually just thrive
0: and not burn out. Right. Yes. Yes. I know we um are getting close to wrapping up so I wanted to ask you if you had any other closing words or you know last words of advice for our listeners who are curious about strengthening or harnessing their intergenerational power or just in general are are looking to do this work this personal growth work yeah
1: I think um I think emotions are were hard for me I don't know if they're hard for other people but I found them really difficult to sit with um I'd spent a lot of my childhood just you know because uh, I had a lot of negative experiences putting them on the back burner and mm. and, rep- and repressing them and being like happy-go-lucky you're supposed to be chilled out you're supposed to be you know <laughs> and I had a closet full of like emotions while mm. I was like trying to look chilled, you know And I think that really, um, it's informative. Once you start connecting with your emotions and understanding um, how you're feeling and really feel it in your body um, and connecting through the breath to your body, you start to become more aware of this intergenerational power. You start to become aware of things that are frustrating to you and whether your stomach is getting tight or your shoulders are getting tight, and that is probably telling you that whatever you're doing is outside of alignment with yourself. But more importantly, it'll probably burn you out in the long run. Yeah. Um. And I think being aware of the things that light us up is great. And a lot of people talk about like, find your passion, find yeah. your purpose. But I think also finding your frustration mm. paths, because that's going to tell you what your values are just as much as the things that light you up. Your values are, I'm really angry about, for example, the redundancy, which was unfair and targeted more women and targeted more people who were part of a union, you know, um, union busting activity kind of. um, And I realized that's a values based attack on for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my values of integrity. That's my values on equity and fairness and now I know going forward, I need to work in a place that's going to honor that. So I think become aware of your emotions is the most empowering
0: thing for everybody. That's really great. Thank you for that. I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you um, are reminding folks that like there's the, the, the two sides uh, or the two pronged approach of identifying your values. You can look to formative positive experiences and also on the other end those things that are that you know anger can be used as a fuel for a lot of things and sometimes it's a fuel for leading you to identifying a really strong core value so thank you for that so for folks who really uh, want to connect with you want to follow up want to stay in touch what's the best way for them to reach you
1: Yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Luna Muñoz. I have a Facebook group, which is free for anybody to come on to, which is The Great Academic Escape. Um, And we have a lot of conversations about hobbies and just everything. So it's more of the kind of emotional part of escaping academia. (laughs) But just getting clarity. A lot of people stay in there because they just want to get clarity on what they actually want.
0: I love that. I'm going to make sure to add those links to the show notes. And I might join that Facebook group too, because I didn't realize you had it. (laughs) Oh my God, did I forget to tell you? It's okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Luna, for coming on here, for sharing your story, your knowledge, your insight, your wisdom. Todo. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, Muchas gracias. I love you. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I
0: love you too. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at touring. Thanks again, and until next time.